warmest of greetings to you and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching, where we help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen for your children to become amazing and successful human beings. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me this week is... Hi, I'm Bex, and I'm a primary school teacher from Cambridgeshire. I've experienced teaching across the age range, being a deputy head, and I'm also the curriculum and teaching and learning lead, and I have the privilege of training and releasing the next generation of teachers as well. And today we are exploring science learning outcomes with this week's folktale from Japan. You can listen to the story by downloading our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for The Underwater Kingdom. There you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you sign up as an epic educator, you'll also get a copy as an ebook or paperback illustrated by Winnie the Witch's very own Corky Paul, as well as the full audiobook for you to download at any time, and even some tips for telling the story yourself. Right now, though, let's continue our discussion with Bex here by seeing what science we can learn with Hiroshima's help. And there's got to be a lot because i mean the underwater world is just brimming with science isn't there i mean right from the very start for me he gets into a boat just the science of being on the surface of the water and and not sinking that's something isn't it yeah definitely is and and which material would be the best to build his boat out of Uh So you could you could start really you could start there with any age group of children and you could think about um what's his boat made of what can't it be made of so looking at there's a materials um unit in every year group all the way from our early years children to our year 6 children hmm. so you could be looking at the best materials for a boat what materials would you use for boat for boats in um 700 years ago in Japan as well what yeah. materials would they have what materials wouldn't they have so particularly with your key stage 2 children you can give them a few more uh, like parameters and give them a bit of the history and the context of the story and with your younger children our um, four to seven year old you can be thinking about the floating and sinking idea and the um, then the uh, waterproof not waterproof leading on to the um, this is the materials you have what would be best for, uh, to build the boat out of so you can start off with um, materials you can even think about the materials underwater so Ooh, what could yeah. you use to build a palace yes. out of what would be available to the underwater community um, to be able to build their dragon palace out of what would they have used would they have used coral would they have used sand can they make wet sand yeah, stand up yeah. have they how how are they building this? I mean, I can see role plays in our key, our four to seven year olds mm-hmm. classrooms, year one, year two, and early years, and having things they can make their own dragon palaces out of for material different materials. And how's it going to stay up underwater? Even in your water tray, you can build one. The shape of things is important as well, though, isn't it? Because mm. even the the heaviest materials can float on water if you put them into a certain shape so that could be a a fun experiment to have Um, and thinking of the shape of the dragon palace you know that's got to be underwater plenty of opportunities there and particularly saying to the children can you make this float or can you make this material sink sink?" yeah so rather than just investigating what floats and what sinks or can you make it float Mm. and can you make it sink so they'd, they'd be fascinated so you can do a whole 
I can kick off our science topics with materials. I mean, in all throughout the primary school. Brilliant. And then another another unit of work that runs throughout the primary school. So from our early years children to our year six is is habitats and why creatures live in certain places. Uh-huh. So each. Again, each year group has a unit of work on um, different types of habitats. So you can obviously look at the sea and you can look at the land and you can look at why a turtle can live on both the sea and the mm. land and why other creatures can't. How are they um, How are they made? How have they evolved? With your younger children, you might want to do some sorting and classifying. So you might want to do these creatures can live in the sea and these can't and then get them to explain and understand why they can live in the sea and why they can't. Yeah. Why wouldn't the sea be a good habitat for a meerkat? Um, for example, there's a there's a story called Meerkat Mail where this meerkat tries to find the best place to live. Mm. So you could get that story out as a little side story and um, to the Hiroshima story and say, well, why can't Sunny, his name is, why can't he live in the sea? And so you can do lots of sorting, classifying. Um, and then further up the school in our year three and year with our year three and year four children, you're then looking at um, vertebrates and invertebrates and amphibians mm. and you're, you're kind of classifying more deep details so they could they could decide which um sort creatures into their their finer groups rather than just these live underwater these don't so lots and lots of opportunities to explore habitats across the primary school with relating to uh the sit i probably start with the sea habitat as as that's Mm -hmm. where most of our stories set there's such wonderful diversity there as well, isn't there? I mean, you, you do still have mammals and you do still have insects, but there's just such a rich variety of classification that, mm. that can be going on and trying to determine the, yeah, the so- factors that put them in those classifications too, I guess. Yeah, and... And I, I was just thinking as well that with our with our older children, so our um, year um, eight-year-olds to our 11-year-olds, so year three to year six, you'd also they'd also be doing some kind of work on food chains. So uh, right. what eats what? So what do you need to what do you need to be living in your habitat to be able to be successful to be able to survive? Mm. And then you can also do some like identification keys where the children can use the the science knowledge that they have about a habitat and about a certain um, creature that lives in the sea, and they have to you identify it by kind of going down a little map. Mm. So like, does it have does it have fins? Yes or no? And then does it have gills? Yes or no? I mean, hopefully your their little kind of keys would be much more detailed than <laughs> mine that I just modelled. Um, but just giving them all that wealth of knowledge and then getting... I guess it's kind of like the, the riddles that we were talking about um, yeah. a couple of days ago in the English, um, like actually guessing what... Trying to get someone to work backwards mm. to work which creature they want to identify. So I think that would be quite good for the... For the older children Excellent. as well. And developing that, that language again in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Better than my language that I just used. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, certainly lots that lots that the children can do. Um, and again, lots that you can do across the school. So if you're doing um if you're studying the Hiroshima story as a whole school, for example, mm. as a part of your like a storytelling week or your um or your book week, actually then you've got learning that can be happening um across the school and children that can be working together across the different year yeah. groups as well. So that would be because they do they're studying the same thing but at a different level which I think is the great thing about our curriculum that they revisit things in in more detail as they get older and they can work with each other on something like this can't they I mean you could even have yeah. one of the classes if if they're doing a food topic like you said food chains trying to think about what 
food, they would serve Hiroshima at the Dragon Palace and actually creating yeah. that as a menu, creating that as a meal for the other children in the school to come and try. Oh, yeah, that would be great. They'd love that. Because there's got to be a feast, haven't oh, yes. there, in the Dragon Palace. You need to have a Definitely, feast in the Dragon Palace. Definitely, at least one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and what would be available as well? Because the, the things that would be available to eat in the um, Pacific Ocean might not be the same as the Arctic yeah. Ocean. So, actually, them even even knowing about the, you know, the context of the specific mm. oceans that they're looking at rather than just... And comparing it to what would happen if we had a Dragon Palace in where we live but what would they want to eat as well because if they have mm. lobsters guarding the palace and if they have seahorses carrying their candles and turtles uh, their mode of transportation and a, a mermaid is half fish yeah exactly so do they have to go and fish on land so do they throw their fish hooks out <laughs> of the sea and collect like um people's Things from the I'm I'm, <laughs> from I'm now seeing like something like a, a, a blackbird um, looking down at the beach and seeing what looks like a nice juicy worm going and picking it up and then getting yanked into the sea by a really yeah. long cord. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Like actually thinking about how would you survive underneath the sea as your home? Mm. Because obviously we've we've adapted to living as humans. We live don't live under the sea for many reasons. Like we can't breathe underwater. Obviously, Hiroshima was allowed to. Mm -hmm. But just thinking, how could you, as a human, even survive underwater? What would you need to do? Because obviously, you you can dive, and you, they could look at divers mm -hmm. and what you need. So there's so there's so many opportunities again. Um, but those are the three things that I'm going for for science. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the science thing as well, though, isn't it? Looking about how. Well, not just how animals have adapted and, and creatures have adapted to be in the different conditions that they are, but also how human beings can adapt in order to go to places that they maybe wouldn't usually get to. That's all we have time for today, folks, and indeed this week. Now, if you try out any of these ideas, or if you'd like us to help you teach a topic you are soon to cover with your young learners, please let us know on social media using at Teach Happily, or leave us a review using your favourite podcast app. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world, so children everywhere can learn in a way that's effective, memorable and enjoyable, all at the same time. We'll be back next week so Hiroshima can help us plan lessons in history, geography, art, music and religious education. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio! cheerio. And, and we, we hope, hope to hear your story, story soon! soon.